Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. the week gone happy thursday good morning to you welcome to rp3 and company i'm your host the big bald and beautiful one raymond parch the third i'm joined here inside the game studios by a woman who really needs no introduction yet i feel compelled to do so because when you have as many names as many monikers as she does it's probably helpful to introduce her as much as possible. It's the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah. Five names. Good morning, Hannah. How are you? Oh, I am still waking <laughs> up, but I am fantastic because the Astros lost their series and my Mariners won theirs. <laughs> wow. Already, already throwing salt. What? Wow. Me throwing wow. salt? Wow, just vicious, just vicious, opens up the show, opens up the show. It's one thing to brag on your own team, but then she had to make sure to throw salt in the wound of the Astros fans. Wow. Mm, yeah. Wow, you're learning so fast. <laughs> so fast. <laughs> we got a great show lined up for you today. Oh, this is a good indicator that someone's going to be very sassy and salty. And I'm here for it, by the way, because it's Thursday. It's Thursday. <laughs> so because it's Thursday? It's Thursday. Look. Thirsty Thursday? That's usually what that Thursday is. No, 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 no. Oh. You being salty when we get closer to the weekend's a good thing. Why? Because it means you're showing a little confidence. That means you're you're feeling good about yourself. Negative vibes, negative negativity, focusing on things that you can't, you know, control. You know, things that upset you. You push it aside. Quick-witted. Sharp tongue. Yeah, that, that happened when I read uh, Alvin Kamara's tweet on Twitter that said, earliest bird gets the, earliest bird, and then had da 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 said, gets the suspension or gets the work? Wow! Wow! <laughs> wow! I was not prepared. I was not prepared for this this version of five names. By the way, this is the best version of five names. <laughs> this is the best version of five names. Oh, we got a good show lined up for you today. Three guests all on the back end of the show. Last uh, half of the show, rather, as we like to do. Brad Baluchin, Los Angeles Times best-selling author. You're going to like this. He is the man behind the wax pack. It's 
It's a great book, a great read about baseball cards, about fathers, about life after baseball for players. Just to give you a brief little idea, this guy bought an old pack of Topps cards that have never were never unsealed. Opens them up and gets the idea, I'm going to track down all the guys that are in this pack of cards and see what their life is like now. He even went and interviewed folks that worked at the old Topps factory in Pennsylvania. And then he found out a lot about himself, a road trip that included 11,000-plus miles. Fascinating read. The author, Brad Baluchin, will join us at 7.30 today to talk his book, The Wax Pack. Tremendous read. 8 o'clock, Les East will join us. Our friend from CrescentCitySports.com. He's got a lot on his plate. Zerk Classic opens today. He'll be there for that. So will I. But we're also going to talk New Orleans Saints. We're a week away from the NFL draft, people. Yes, one week away from the draft. Oh, and the Pelicans are gearing up for a home playoff game. We'll touch on all things New Orleans with less at 8 o'clock. And then at 8.30, stand-up comedian, well-regarded impersonator, Sam Jobert. He's one of the headliners for Cajun Comic Relief this Saturday. He'll be joining us talking about his career, some of his favorite impersonations. He does everything from Casey Kasem to Mike Tyson to Barack Obama and even Ed Orgeron. Oh, yeah. All over the place. And he's local. He's right down the road. Grew up in Plaisance there in St. Landry Parish. So those are our three guests. Of course, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is always open. As long as you're nice to the lady on the other end of the line, you're going to get on the air. That's how we do it here. You want to talk New Orleans Saints. You want to talk the NFL draft. You want to talk Major League Baseball. You want to talk LSU, McNeese, UL. You want to talk high schools. You want to talk softball. We can do it all. Just be nice to the lady on the other end of the phone line. That's we all you got to do. We are looking for our game changer of the week as well, guys. Just letting you know. Last day. Last day if you want to try to be the game changer of the week. Because we're going to start unveiling that bad boy not at the end of the show on Friday. First part of the last hour. That's going to be the new thing. Kicking off the 8 o'clock hour on Fridays, we will unveil our game changer of the week phone call. We'll make the adjustments on our end, not to worry. Thanks. <laughs> Give us a call. Hotline's open, 337-706-0111. We got five names on point today. Whew. Sharp tongue today. Ready. Ready. Ready for verbal combat. But see, see, you're going to have to utilize that now. Why? Because it's going to be wasted. It's going to be wasted from 9 to 11. It won't even be used. <laughs> it, it won't even be utilized whatsoever. Because it will be, we're a week out from the draft, and the Astros just lost to the Angels and oh, lost the series geez. to the Angels. It is going to be two hours of pure misery from 9 to 11 today. You already know I'm correct. <laughs> so, oh, knows that at least we're a week away from the NFL draft. We're getting so close. So, so, if so, you, far. 
So if you want to have fun and utilize that sharp wit of yours this morning, five names, go ahead and maximize the opportunity for the next three hours. Because <laughs> it'll be uh, someone shot his dog misery this morning. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> God bless him. Man's a treasure. Man's an absolute treasure. Let's start off today's show talking to the Houston Astros. The reigning Cy Young Award winner and MVP, the cultural phenomenon. Well, he lived up to the hype last night, didn't he? Otani stepped up and was absolutely dominant on the mound. No runs, one hit while striking out 12 Houston Astros. 12. A nice, good old-fashioned even dozen Ks. And only six innings of work as the Angels shut out the Strohs 6 to nothing to take the early to midweek series. It did not matter that the Houston Astros wore their awesome-looking Space City uniforms. They are beautiful. They are amazing. I'm not even an Astros fan. I'm like, damn, those look good. Did not matter. Did not matter. Otani was phenomenal on the bump for the Angels. Jake Odorizzi, not so much. <laughs> he... He's what we call, as good as Otani was last night, Odorisi was the exact opposite of that. Otani, six innings, one hit, no runs, 12 Ks. Phenomenal performance. Just phenomenal performance. Odorisi, meanwhile, goes out there and says, hey guys, I'm kind of feeling tired. They got... I think I'm going to call it in. I think I'm going to go to bed a little early tonight. Three runs on two hits, walked four in only two-third innings of work. The man didn't even last a full inning before he got pulled. Woof. Now you've had back-to-back performances. by two of the four guys in your rotation. And they were, as Kevin says, pa-bomb. Framers had back-to-back performances like that. If the Strohs are going to be a contender, which I still think they are, losing a, a midweek series is not an indicator of things to come. It just isn't. It's, it's still April 21st. It's way too early in the season. But if Verlander, who is 40 years old and is coming off Tommy John surgery, if he's going to be your number one, you may have problems. These other guys have to pitch well. And they have not pitched well to start the season. Like, Odorizzi doesn't even get out of the first inning. You got your starting pitcher that can't even get out of the first inning. 
Not great. Not great. Not great, Bob. Not great. Houston now falls to 6-6 on the season overall. Look, it's way early. Way, 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 way early. And to be fair to the Astros, because I've already seen some panic online. You know, the folks, they like to panic when it comes to things. I get that you're upset that the team is only 500. I get that you're upset that there are these games where the starting pitching looks just, just awful, right? And you go, what the hell is going on around here? I get that. I get that. But the Astros typically, typically are slow starters. And when I say typically, if you go back and look at the last 10 years or so for Houston, and this goes over multiple, you know, multiple skippers and everything like that. Astros records through the first 10 games the past decade, plus their final record. So back in 2014, the Shroes started off three and seven. Not great, right? Ended be ended up being 70 and 92. The next year they went five and five in the first 10, ended up with 86 wins. The next year they started off three and seven again, ended up with 84 wins. The next year they went six and four in the first 10 games. They won 101 games in the World Series. Next year, eight and two, won 103 games. The following year, five and five. Five and five. 500 ball club through the first couple weeks of the season. They ended up winning 107 games, losing in the World Series. Six and four during the COVID year. Six and four last year when they ended up winning 95 games and reaching the World Series. I say that because. This is what the Strohs do. This is how they, they, they are notoriously inconsistent in slow starters. They come out the gates sluggish. So the fact that we're 12 games in and the Strohs are a 500 ball club is not really cause for concern. It just isn't. I just gave you a decade worth of data that tells you this is a team that always starts off slow. And 90% of the time, they come back to win 85, 90, 95, 100 games. And they've played in the World Series three out of the last five years. There you go. They're notoriously a slow team. They have a ton of talent. They'll figure out the pitching. It's not great. It's not optimal. I get it. You'd like to see better performances. Orderizi probably doesn't belong in the rotation. Just, Just being honest probably belongs to be sent somewhere else because he's just really has not panned out for them ever since they acquired him but it's still early disappointing to lose to the halos yes 
Disappointing because you have to hear from Seattle Mariner fans giving you the business like Hannah Five names? Absolutely. Absolutely. But history tells us the Astros will be fine. They start off slow. They start off inconsistent. And as the season progresses, they get better. They get better, just like Hannah Five Names does. Every day, every week, she gets better. Got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company on this Thursday, April 21st edition. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. P3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All the Hangout Music Festivals returning this summer to Gulf Shores in the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles has your tickets to this epic weekend of music. You can score VIP passes by becoming a member of the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Don't miss the return of Hangout Music Fest featuring Post Malone, Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, that's right. Shaq Diesel back on stage. Halsey, Megan Thee Stallion and the Doja Cat, just to name a few. That's Hangout Music Fest, May 20th to the 22nd in lovely Gulf Shores. Win VIP passes from the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, but you can only win by going and becoming a member of our rewards club. Let's talk a little softball baseball while we have a few minutes here. The Raging Cajuns... Well, they wrapped up their Midwest spring break swing, if you will. Well, uh, they did so in convincing fashion. Carly Heath, five RBIs as Louisiana Raging Cajuns run-ruled poor Indiana 11-2 yesterday afternoon to win their third game in three days on their Midwest spring break trip. Raging Cajuns improved to 31 wins on the year. They run-ruled St. Louis on Monday. They beat number 25-ranked Illinois in extra innings on Tuesday. And then they mercy-ruled Indiana yesterday afternoon. And now they head over to Boone, North Carolina to take on Appalachian State for a three-game series this weekend. A nice road trip 
for the Raging Cajuns. Don't forget, they also squeezed in that three-game sweep of South Alabama as well recently on the road in Mobile. The Illinois win helps with the RPI. That helps with them getting an at-large bid even if they don't win the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. And now it feels like they've turned a corner. Now it feels like they have some momentum. This is the type of thing, you take a gamble when you do this. And Jerry knows this, but he anticipated that he was going to need to do something like this because he knew how young his team was going to be. And he knew if you talk to him and listen to him early in the season or even before the start of the season, he expected his team to take some lumps. They were going to be very, very young. Lots of uncertainty. Remember, he told us before the season began, he was uncertain. He only had two positions, two or three positions locked up for starters. Everything else was going to be still an open competition to start the season. And they did not look good against Alabama. And they did not look good for the most part against LSU. But as the season has progressed, they have looked better. They got a a win over a ranked team in Texas. The third time they faced them, they got the win. Now they got a win over a ranked Illinois team. They're starting to kind of find themselves. They swept South Alabama to take sole possession of the Sunbelt Conference. And now they go to Boone, North Carolina to take on App State. Being tested like this, being away from Lampson Park, because they only have five games left at Lampson, by the way. Testing yourself, taking your young team in the middle of conference play. You had this break, the spring break, and Jerry likes to play non-conference opponents during that time. But to travel across the country, old school road trip, sometimes can make and break your team. Sometimes it can backfire if they're not prepared and ready to rise to the occasion. And Jerry's team did. They treated it like they were playing in a regional. This is exactly how he set it up, by the way. When you're a regional, you're playing every day. You're playing three straight days. What they just do? They just play three straight days. Far from home, without the comforts, without the distractions. Take down a ranked team in the middle of that three-game stretch. It sure does feel like Jerry's team has turned a corner. Are they still a little too young? Are they a little flawed? Yes, those are still true. But you have to feel a little bit more confident in their abilities to make some noise in a regional now, this morning, than you did, say, a month and a half ago. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. McNeese, meanwhile, their baseball team went on the road for a midweek affair. ULM is not a good baseball program. They're below 500. McNeese was looking to get a midweek victory under their belt after coming off a strong weekend and before having to take on Southeastern Louisiana. Once again, the Southland Conference is absolutely wide open for baseball in particular. There's four or five teams that could win it. It's going to be a one-bid league for an NCAA regional. Whoever wins it will more than likely be a four-seed. So it could be anybody. It could be Munice. It could be Southeastern Louisiana. It could be Nichols. It could be Northwestern State. 
all of them have looked great at times this season, and all of them have looked awful. It is a league that is wide open. McNeese, unfortunately, travels up to take on ULM in a non-conference midweek contest, looking to build up some momentum before the Lions come to town this coming weekend. Unfortunately, not able to do it. Unfortunately, they fall in extra innings in fun row as the Warhawks take down the Cowboys 4-3 to in 10 innings. In 10 innings. But they'll have the opportunity to bounce back against Southland Conference opponents this weekend in southeastern Louisiana. Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball in his latest projections for the field of 64. By the way, does not have the Cajuns in the field, which I was surprised by based on their RPI. He also has southeastern Louisiana representing the Southland Conference as it stands right now. Now, that could change in a week because the Southland is bananas. But McNeese will have an opportunity to win a game that really matters. ULM really doesn't matter. Because the Southland Conference is not getting in another team with a good RPI. That's not, that's not happening. It's all about winning conference games, putting yourself in a position to win the conference tournament. We got to take a timeout. But before we do, producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, would you please unveil our poll question of the day? Please. All right. I asked, I, asked, I asked please twice, by the way. I just you like did. to point that out. Yeah, like I'm like it's so angry today. I'm not. Please. Okay, so uh, the poll question of the day is, should the Saints sign a former LSU star, Jarvis Landry? Easy answer is either yes or no. That's right. Keep it clean with the kids on Facebook and the Twitters. The Book of Face. Book of Face, whatever. The Bird app. That's our poll question of the day. Should they or shouldn't they? Yes, no. Easy poll question of the day. Go vote. Leave your comments. Will it be easy answers? Probably won't be. <laughs> will there be <laughs> will there be sassiness between people that are leaving comments probably probably that's what we do we bring the people together <laughs> are we the together i'm not sure that i answer <laughs> oh man oh uh, when we come back here at rp3 and company we'll talk a little nba playoffs Recap last night's action. That's coming up right here. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. April 21st, 2001. The New Orleans Saints select Old Miss running back Deuce McAllister with their first round draft pick. McAllister spent his entire nine-year career with the Saints and became a fan favorite. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with a $50 gift certificate to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville. Richard Seafood Patio, some of the best boiled crawfish, but also serves up boiled shrimp, boiled crabs, fried and grilled seafood, burgers, steaks, pull boys, and even a seafood buffet. Hello. Go sign up for the Game Clubhouse this morning, right now, today, at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to score a $50 gift certificate to Richard Seafood Patio, but you can only win that by signing up for the Clubhouse once again at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So go sign up today so you can score that $50 gift certificate to Richard's Seafood Patio in Abbeville. I got song inside of me today, five names. I got song inside of me today. Don't judge. I know you're sassy over there. You're ready to give everybody the business. Astro fans, you're telling them to suck it. I get it. You're on point today, Okay. But don't try to take away my song. When did I say this to not to sing? You had a look about you. You had a look about you. See, I decided uh, me and Kath are going to go to sleep really early last night and then wake up until it was midnight. And I was like, ah, well, I guess we're not eating dinner tonight. <laughs> so the, I, I do have a, a little looming headache that might be from that. I see. That's why I just got down a granola bar to help me. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. You say so. All right. Great. Okay. Wow. All right. Great. So the NBA playoffs. <laughs> I just, you know, you're young. You, you shouldn't be, like, having headaches. You should be getting plenty of sleep. You know, you, you go to bed at a reasonable hour, yet you're tired. I just don't understand. It's not like you're an old curmudgeon man like me. You're in shape. You're working out. You're young. You got vigor. You're vibrant. This should not be an issue. Did we already figure this out that I am on the outside? I look like I'm young, but on the inside, I'm an old person. You're you're, you're an old get off my lawn person. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, game three for the girls at Timberwolves is going on tonight as they play at six thirty. Is yes. their first tip? Yeah, um, yes. Can we? Re- they are tied one-one. Yes, they are. We're going to recap last night's action. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start off with 76ers overtime win over the Toronto Raptors, 104 to 101. They go up now three games to none in that series. Joel Embiid playing like an MVP candidate. He makes an incredible last-second three-pointer to give Philly the win. And I thought this was going to be a problem. I thought the Raptors would be more of a problem for Philly because Harden has not been playing well. And Toronto is so well coached. And they have a bunch of guys that have won a title. Now, they don't have a single superstar on their roster. They don't. Hell, you could even make an argument they really don't have stars. But I thought they would give them... give Philly a bit of an issue and they did last night and that's a game that Toronto's probably going to look back and go man we we let that one get away from us that was their way of getting back into the series they didn't because Joel Embiid you got a seven footer who plays center shooting three pointers like how do you even guard that like that's like like how do you even guard that if you're Toronto there's no answer to that 
the, the, the Embiid's wingspan is the size of the studio. Like, like how are you going to do that? He shoots a three, and you're just like, well, there you go. 33 points, 12 of 20 from the field, 6 of 9 from the free throw line, and the 76ers go up three games to none on Toronto. They look like they're ready to advance on to the Eastern Conference semifinals. And Harden has not played great. 19 points last night, 10 assists. You're like, eh. But for a guy that's a former league MVP and a guy that's known for being a shooter and being a volume scorer, you're not getting a ton from him. You're just not. This team is still being carried by Joel Embiid. And maybe that's a good thing because you're getting contributions from Tobias Harris still. You're also getting a lot of contributions from Maxi, who also gave you 19 points. So, 76ers in complete control of that series now, up three games to none, one win away from advancing to the Eastern Conference semifinals. That was a thrilling game. Bulls-Bucks is an interesting series to me. Series is now tied 1-1 after the Bulls pulled out a 114-110 win last night. DeMar DeRozan was sensational, 41 points. Seven rebounds, four assists. The Greek freak, Giannis, 33 points, 18 rebounds, nine assists, nearly had a triple-double. This is going to be a dogfight of a series. The Bucs are your defending world champs. They have Giannis. He is special, generational talent. But this Bulls team, the way it's constructed, man, they, they can get after it. Now, is Chicago going to need... DeRozan to go off like this to be able to beat the Bucks, I think so. Maybe he doesn't need to drop 41 points, but they were balanced last night. DeRozan gave them 41. They got 24 from Zach Levine. Once again, no Lonzo Ball because of injury the former New Orleans Pelican. I think that hurts them. Their bench is not great. But DeMar went off last night, got them the win. Once again, I said it before when we were talking about the Pelicans yesterday, your whole goal as the as the road team in the first two games of a seven-game series is to split. That's your goal. Split. That's all you need to do. Split, and that's exactly what Chicago did. Is now that series is tied one-one after last night's one fourteen to one ten win by the Bulls over the Bucks. But we got to talk about Boston and Brooklyn because Game One was all about Kyrie Irving going back to the gar- going. I keep calling it the Garden. They don't even play in the Garden anymore. What I call the Garden, going back to Boston. The fans booed him. They heckled him. He flipped them off multiple times. It was a whole big deal. Kyrie is probably one of the more polarizing players in the modern NBA. And it didn't matter because Boston was able to get off the game winner in game one. 
But everyone said Brooklyn's dangerous. Brooklyn's a dangerous team. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. Kyrie can now play on the road and at home. They're dangerous. Here they come. Ben Simmons is coming back for games four, possibly, or maybe five. Because he's he's yet to suit up for the Nets, by the way, the former LSU star who was traded for James Harden. Celtics don't care. 114 to 107 win. They now are up two games to none in this series. They win both of the first two games at home in Boston. And the Celtics get it done because they're balanced. They're just so balanced. All five starters scored in double figures. All five starters scored at least 12 points last night for Boston. Oh, and by the way, they got two guys coming off the bench giving them 17 and 10. They're... They don't have a Kevin Durant. I love Jason Tatum. I love his game. He is a star. He is a heck of a player. He's not Kevin Durant. He's just not. Boston has no one as good as Kyrie or Kevin Durant. They just don't. Jason Tatum, a very good player. I love Marcus Smart. I love the fact that he's the defensive player of the year, first guard to get it since Gary Payton won it like in 1997. But they just have a bunch of good two very good players on their roster. That's what they have. That's what Boston is. They don't have a superstar. They don't have a dominant player. Don't tell me Jason Tatum's a superstar. He's not. He's a star. He's a star. He's a very good player. He's a star. They don't have a superstar. Yet, this team that Brad Stevens has constructed as the former coach that went into the GM role last year, this is his first year in that capacity, they're just a good team. They started off terrible this season, and they turned it around, and they're playing some of the best basketball of anybody. And now they're up 2-0 on Brooklyn. And do I expect this to be a six-game series, possibly even a seven-game series still? Yes. Because I've said it before, talent is what matters most of the time in the NBA, particularly in the playoffs. Durant was not himself. He had 27 points he was 4 of 17 from the field. Oh, woof. Not good. Not good. Kyrie, 4 of 13. Only 10 points. Do I expect those guys to play like that once they get back to Brooklyn? No. I expect the Nets to make this a series. But Boston is now in the driver's seat, though. And I don't think a lot of people expected that. Because even though Brooklyn is the 7 seed, they expected Brooklyn if they would have been healthy this year and Kyrie would have been able to play and all those three guys would have made a play, they would have been a top two, top three seed. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're exactly where they need to be. Maybe they're had to play in the play-in tournament for a reason. And maybe it's because they're not as deep. The Lakers had a similar issue. Got stars. Got a couple of stars. Do not have the depth because you spend all the money on the stars. Boston has a bunch of guys that can play in the NBA. Brooklyn has two stars, and they have a bunch of guys. If you stack up the roster side by side, overall, Boston has the better roster. They just lack the two big-time stars. Brooklyn has the two most talented players on the floor in the series. Boston has better, deeper talent. That's why Boston's up 2 nothing. Because Brooklyn constructed their roster like, you know, hey, we'll just, I, I, we got a bunch of stars. I'll make, we'll make it work. Same thing the Lakers did. 
It's not how it works. It's not how it works. Tonight, as five names indicated, Grizzlies, Timberwolves, that series is tied one apiece in the Western Conference. That'll be your first game tonight. John Morant taking on Carl Anthony Towns, two great young players facing off in the first round. Then it's Mavericks, Jazz. Like to see how Spider Donovan Mitchell is going to respond now that the series is tied 1-1 they go back to Utah. I expect the Spider to kind of put this series and put his team on his back. And then the nightcap is Warriors Nuggets. Warriors, of course, are up two games to none. They're looking to go up 3-0 as they head out to Denver to take on Jokic and company. Woo! Poll question of the day. We'll update that when we return here on RP3 and company. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Don't go through another summer with that awful joint pain. Call QC Kinetics right now. Hey, it's RP3, Raymond Parts III. That pain in your back, your knees, your shoulder, it can now be treated with the latest in precision medicine. Using natural biologics, growth factors that can restore and repair damaged tissue, really exciting stuff. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative medicine, giving you access right here to this modern-day joint pain solution. You can get lasting joint pain relief with no drugs, no steroids, no downtime, and no surgery. You have heard Emmett Smith raving about QC Kinetics. You have read or seen other high-profile people talking about it. Regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics can help you get your life back. Take action right now. Get a free consultation. Powerful, effective joint pain treatments with natural biologics are here. Call QC Kinetics right now, 337 243-4222. That's 337-243-4222. We have a few moments here. Been spending most of this morning's RP3 and company talking about Astros losing the series to the Los Angeles Angels. Otani was phenomenal. Orderisi was hot garbage. McNeese drops a non-conference road game at ULM. And the UL, Raging Cajuns softball team, completes its midweek Midwest swing with a mercy rule win over the Indiana Hoosiers. But I want to touch on the big shocker that came out of college basketball last night. That was Jay Wright announcing his retirement. I, I'm, I'm stunned by this. I'm stunned. Been at Villanova for 21 years. He's won two national championships for the Wildcats and four Final Fours. His fourth one was in New Orleans. And we were talking about with Coach K retiring at Duke, who was going to become the face of college basketball? Because college basketball is not by the player. It's about the programs and the coach. The coaches are the stars. The coaches are the faces. Because in college basketball, the players come in and out every year. We had Roy Williams retire a year ago. Longtime coach at Kansas and North Carolina. Then we had Coach K retire this year. Announce his retirement. But then we were talking about, well, who's going to be now the face of college basketball? Is it maybe John Calipari at Kentucky? 
Is it Bill Self at Kansas? But a lot of people said Tom Izzo at Michigan State or Jay Wright at Villanova, and now Jay Wright is gone. And you know what? Part of me respects the hell out of Jay for doing it this way. Instead of announcing it before the start of the season and having the, you know, the farewell tour and having all the pomp and circumstance at the gymnasium for the regular season finale like they did for Kay, Jay decided to do it after the end of the season. Didn't have anything like that. Didn't make it about, you know, wasn't about his retirement, his career. He just says, I'm retired. I'm done. 21 years. I kind of respect that. And... I was there to see the last game of Coach K's career and the last game of Jay Wright's career at the Final Four. <laughs> what? That's going to do it for hour number one, hour number two, coming up right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number two has arrived on RP3 and Company. I'm joined here. Look, it's just not about yours truly, the big, bald, and beautiful one. No, no. Nope, 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 nope. It's about you. It's about producer extraordinaire Hannah Fabna. Five names. It's about you out there listening. You make this show great. I got nothing really to do with it. I just sit here. I talk. I struggle with talking most days. I struggle with names, especially. Some days I struggle even putting on my pants and making sure that they're on me while I'm in the studio. But <laughs> you said you struggle with names. <laughs> you struggle to say names. <laughs> oh, we have fun. And we appreciate all of you listening, whether it's on your radio dial here in Acadiana. 1037 or 1041 over in Lake Charles. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening on the free mobile app for Apple and Android devices. Or if you're checking us out on Google Home, Alexa, or maybe you're fortunate enough to watch our show on television on the simulcast here in Acadiana on Stadium Network 32.3 and 133 on OUS Fiber. No matter how you're listening or watching, just want to let you know we appreciate you, man. Thank you. What, I can't be sincere? <laughs> Why, I can't be sincere? You think there's a punchline coming? Yes. What? Usually there is. No, never. This show <laughs> no. this show lacks humor. This show never has sarcasm involved whatsoever. We are a straightforward sports talk show. I dare us to one day not smile or laugh for an entire show. That's not happening. <laughs> 
just it won't. No, that's not. That's if we not could happening. do that, we would literally need like a pizza party or something because that would be epic. Of us actually a having pizza break. party, she says. Yes. A pizza party. I like a pizza party. Pizza party. There we go. Whoop whoop. I was not expecting the whoop whoop, <laughs> but here we are. Oh man, we're having a good start to today's show. Hour number one in the books. We touched on the Houston Astros. That's what we led off with. Uh, disappointing loss at home. They unveiled their Space City uniforms, which look amazing. And then they promptly went out there and got shut out by Otani and the Angels, as Otani was sensational. 12 strikeouts last night. Odorizzi, meanwhile, he was Paul Bond in even last inning. Woof. But as I pointed out, as disappointing as that is, and as much pause it may give you Astro fan the way Framer Valdez and Ordorizzi has pitched to start the season, which is not optimal, the Strohs are slow starters. Every year, first 10, 12, 15 games, they're around 500. And every year, they're usually in the mix for winning 80, 85, 90, 95, 100 games and competing for World Series championships pump the brakes on the sky is falling with the Astros now if this is a month from now if we're in the month of May if we're gearing up for Memorial Day weekend also anniversary weekend for your boy RP3 and his wife 10 years by the way epic oh I can't believe she stayed with me this long I mean <laughs> no one can if we're around Memorial Day and they're still around 500 then there's calls for concern but this team is way too talented, and they have way – I mean, the lineup is stacked. They just always start off slow. They did so under A.J. Hinch. They do so under Dusty Baker. It's curious. I can't really explain it. It's just how they are. They're slow starters. So disappointing, yes, but not the end of the world. A little concerned about Framer, and I don't believe Ordorisi needs to be anywhere near – the team, period. He has not been good. McNeese drops a midweek game at ULM in extra innings. Disappointing, but they'll have a chance to get back on track this weekend against Southeastern Louisiana. And once again, the Southland Conference is wide open. Wide open. You have five or six teams that could win the tournament to get into a regional. So they'll have that opportunity to, once again, have a good weekend in the Southland Conference, but I can't get a read on any team in the Southland. Not a single team. One weekend, they'll look great. They'll take two or three or win or sweep their opponent. And then the next week, they'll lose to the team at the bottom of the rankings. I, I don't, standings rather, I don't have a clue what's going on in the Southland this year. Completely wide open. Raging Cajun softball team, meanwhile, they keep trucking. 31 wins now on the season. They appear to have turned a corner. Great spring break cross-country trip for the team as a mercy rule st louis on monday beat number 25 illinois in extra innings on tuesday and then mercy ruled indiana yesterday afternoon now they head to boone north carolina to take on appalachian state for a sunbelt conference series i misspoke i said in hour one they only have five home games left producer extraordinaire on top of it only four they have the three yes. games against Coastal Carolina, and then they have a midweek game against Houston. That's it. Yep. Four well, more they, games at Lampson Park for the Raging Cajun softball team. They will wrap up their season on the road. 
I don't want them to go. Why is that a sigh? Because I want them to stay here and have their last series at home. Because I would love to cover the last series at home. I can arrange it where you can cover the Coastal Series. Well, maybe, That'll yeah, still be the last one at is, home. Yeah, it is. I mean, like, oh, the oh, final oh, game oh, before, like, Oh, Raymond, conference. that's not what I prefer. Well, I like, would prefer this. The conference chip, all of that, that's what I want. The last one to be there. That's fine. I'm sure the Sunbelt Conference will take your complaint up and no, they won't. change their schedule on the fly. Anywho. Anyways, whatever. Awkward. <laughs> well, some talk NBA playoffs. Philly wins in overtime thanks to Joel Embiid's three-pointer. The big fell off kind of unstoppable. Boston up two games to none on the Brooklyn Nets. As well in Toronto, I just I just don't see where Toronto comes back and wins the series against the 76ers. I like Philly to win that series anyway. Brooklyn will come back and make a series of it against Boston and could still win it, I'd be perfectly frank. But, man, I just think Boston has more depth, and that's playing a huge role in this series. And Chicago-Milwaukee, that's going to be interesting as well. It just it, it is. That's going to be a dogfight of a series, especially with Middleton leaving the game last night with an injury. He's their second best player on Milwaukee's roster, so if he can't go, eh, it's going to be trouble. What are we going to do if um, they fighting James Meshes uh, win their series? Because I don't think he's going to be at all sufferable. To he has with. worn his Boston Celtics jersey twice already this week. I don't even think it's been washed. Probably hasn't. He'll probably wear it again today. He just wears a gloat. His hat like every single day. Man loves his team. He, does. he loves the Boston Celtics. Yeah. Shout out to the James Mesh. Shout out to him. All I know is that Nick Gidry Uh-oh. is posting on our poll question on Facebook. And he's using fighting words. Well, fighting gifts. Using because, fighting words? Yes. Because he says Uh-oh. highlights from the Mariners game. Then he posts a gif. And it's of two trash cans in the rain that are just going down this hill. But last time I checked, I won my series. Uh Uh-oh. Houston did not win their series. It wasn't by one run. We won uh, 4-2 last night and 6-2 the day before. But, uh, you know, I'm going to sit right behind the Angels that y'all just lost to, but it's it's fine. Oh, wow. Wow. It's fine. It didn't take her long. She's never been a baseball fan. She found her team, and she is 110% in and giving people the business. I'm here for it. By the way, yes. standings after 13 games right now, leading the American League West, the Los Angeles Angels, at 8-5, and five, followed behind by a half game are the Seattle Mariners at 7-5 and five overall. Oakland Athletics seven and six, and in fourth place right now at six and six are the Houston Astros. Yeah. See, mine's point five eight. Once again, way too early, and we make jokes all the time about the Mariners being the April and May champions, and then fading. I'm sure James Yasko will make that same joke tomorrow when he joins us here in RP3 and Company, our friend from the Lima Time Time podcast. But I can respect the hell out of you five names for wanting to talk smack. People want to come after you and you're clapping back at them. I'm here for it. Boom. Boom. She loves her Mariners. Custom shirt, jersey shirt. Is on the way. Is on the way, by the way. Don't worry. I will be wearing it as soon as it comes in for all y'all to see on (laughs) the (laughs) podcast.
We also have a poll question of the day to get to. Should the Saints sign former LSU star Jarvis Landry? The five-time Pro Bowler is visiting. Multiple reports have him visiting New Orleans today for an interview. Cleveland still wants him to come back to be a reliable target for Deshaun Watson, but he is coming to New Orleans for an interview. We want to hear from you. Should the Saints sign former LSU star Jarvis Landry? Overwhelmingly, 75% of you agree with what my point was yesterday that you should. Only 25% say no. Let's get to some comments here. Ton on Twitter says, should they? Yes. Will they? I doubt it. They'll miss out on Landry and Honey Badger, I think. But you know what? They've made decisions fans hate before that panned out. Remember when fans were up in arms over a fresh out-of-surgery Drew Brees? Yeah, fans weren't thrilled about that back in the day, by the way. They weren't. (laughs) They just weren't. I mean, people didn't think Drew could play. I mean, there's a reason why he didn't sign with the Dolphins because the Dolphins doctor said, I don't, they, we don't think he can play. We don't think his shoulder is going to work. And sure enough, it worked out. Steve on Twitter says he made five Pro Bowls and is looking to get paid. Saints already have Mike Thomas, an overpaid, underplayed prima donna wide receiver on the roster. Draft a young wide receiver with talent and hungry to play, then find two offensive linemen guys and a safety. Saints need help, not another retread. Salty Thursday. Steve, my only reply to you is that Jarvis Landry is not Michael Thomas. Jarvis Landry's never been a diva, not in college, not with the Miami Dolphins, not with the Cleveland Browns. He's a team-first guy. He keeps his nose clean. He is not a diva wide receiver. That's my only, that, that's my only thing. He may be looking to get paid. I'm not going to knock a guy for wanting to get paid, but... Jarvis Landry's never been described as a diva wide receiver. If it was Odell Beckham Jr., then yeah, all day long. But Jarvis Landry has been a team captain. Jarvis Landry is a leader. He keeps his nose clean. He's not a diva wide receiver. He's the exact opposite of that. Does it change if the if Cleveland wants him, if they just signed a better wide receiver yesterday? No, because the Browns still want him. Yeah, Javon wins. I like his last name. Uh, He's not very good. Darren on Twitter says, would rather see them trade for Debo. It would cost a little bit more, but you would solve your wide receiver and running back problem with one player. With him and Taysom on the field at the same time, it's over. Plus, he's a proven receiver. You don't want to draft the next Kelvin Benjamin or Justin Blackman. Ooh, you're not wrong there. I like the idea, says Ton, but Debo has stated he doesn't want to be a hybrid. He wants to be a wide receiver or nothing. I still don't quite understand that whole thing. With Debo Samuel and the San Francisco 49ers, you were a win away from playing in the Super Bowl. The team wants to pay you, and you don't want to play for them. I don't get that. Something, Something's amiss there. And it can't just be the fact that they like keeping him in a hybrid position. I, we're, we're not being told something. There's a piece missing there with that Debo Samuel yeah, story. I'm, I'm telling you. There's something else amiss. Still, something is amiss there. I'm just telling you. JPK, the OD, yes, but not for a premium wide receiver. Salaries are blowing up. Don't overpay. If you do, you'll just the Jacksonville Jaguars West. Look, if Jarvis wanted the big payday, I think he already would have taken it. I, I Look, Jarvis is the type, I agree, he, he could be looking for a payday. He could be looking at what DJ Chark and all these other guys – 
Look, there's stupid money being thrown around right now this free agency period for wide receivers. Stupid money. Like, teams are overpaying for wide receivers left and right. Absolutely overpaying for them. I don't know if Jarvis is looking for a huge payday or not. I just don't. He could be. He could be. He could want 20 mil. And if that's what he wants, good for him. Go get it. Are the Saints going to pay him that? Absolutely not. But Jarvis could also be like, hey, you know what? It'd be cool to play for my team that I grew up with. He's a kid from Louisiana. He went to LSU. It'd be a coming home thing, just like Tyron Matthew would be coming home as well. I was not sure if they're actually going to go and sign anybody before the draft. I don't think they will. I don't see it happening. <laughs> I think Welcome. all these teams are crazy throwing this money around on wideouts when this draft class is full of them. <laughs> Good morning, Steve Wiley. How are you? (laughs) Steve, I saw Steve just creeped into the picture, and then he just heard, (laughs) and then and then he was like, "Enough! I'm grabbing the microphone." Shout out to Steve, our buddy Steve Steve. Wiley. Love Steve, the voice behind the two-minute drill. Mornings here on the game. Yes, there's a ton of wide receivers in this draft. Yeah. So I I don't know. It all depends. I agree with you. I could see them not sign either one of those guys, Landry or Honey Badger, until after the draft. I think that's what a lot of teams are doing right now. We're a week out, right? The draft is yes. a week from tonight. One week. That's it. Dear gosh, one week. Well, that's it. So I don't think you're going to see any moves there. But does Landry maybe come home and play on 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 affordable one year deal? I could see that because I it's Jarvis. Too. Because it's Jarvis. I could see that because it's Jarvis. Other guys, I, I wouldn't see that ass. I just wouldn't. Jarvis, I could. Like I could see either one of them coming home. But do I see it for a long time? Probably not. Not a do long-term deal. Do I see deal. them no. coming before the draft? No, there's too much talk about this draft for any team to try to sign some sign to me too many people right now because of how excited, not even just the fans are, but the team it seems like, so much talk there is about the draft. I don't think it's happening until after at least day one, day two of the draft. Day one. Then you'll start seeing moves be made on Friday, next Friday, as we get ready for rounds two and three. And then you'll see a flurry of activity that Saturday. That's what NFL teams are doing. That's what players are doing. They're waiting to see how the dominoes fall, so to speak. And it makes sense. Hart on Twitter says, should they? Yes. But being a Saints fan is equivalent to, mm, I don't know, being told not to touch a hot stovetop as a kid and doing it anyway. You know it will hurt you, but you do it regardless. I never get my hopes up on free agency until ink is on paper. Dak Cajun says the Saints have been cheap this offseason and will not sign big names free agent, but yes, they should. But what if the big name free agents decide to take a one-year deal? Here's the other thing that we're not talking about. What if the market for Landry and the Honey Badger is not what we think it is. What if teams, like Steve said, well, I'm not going to overpay for you, Jarvis Landry. We'll overpay for younger players, but we're not going to overpay for a guy that's around 30 years old because we can just draft one and lock them in on a cheap rookie deal for the next three years. Maybe the market is not that great for Jarvis Landry. Maybe the market's not that great for Tyron Matthew. I'm only seeing one, two-year deals for each of them. Right, right. So that's not out of the realm of possibilities. Do I think it will happen? No. No. Because I think a team will overpay for both of those guys. But 
I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities. Ty on Twitter says, what good is it to have him if we don't have a quarterback that can use him to his potential? Wide receivers look at that and it weighs heavy on their decision. Then if that's the case, then why is Jarvis coming in for an interview? Just saying. A lot of you guys are harder on Jameis Winston than you should be. Very much so. David Ackman on Twitter says, after the draft, once again, like what Hannah and I are talking about, I could see some moves being made after the draft is done. <laughs> Salty Steve says, Debo wants to get paid. Yeah, he does. San Francisco wants him to wait. Not a good scenario. Give both number ones up for Debo Samuel. Would you do that, Saints fan? Would you give up your two first-round picks for Debo Samuel? I wouldn't. Ooh, because he's going to want a massive contract. Do you really want to have two wide receivers on massive contracts? I don't know. I don't know if I'd pull that trigger. That's a bold move, though. Good thought there by Steve. Keep those comments coming. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company, though, coming up right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Lafayette Marble and Granite is the South's largest cultured marble factory, and they pride themselves on earning your business. Look, LMG is known for providing show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens and your bathrooms. But have you thought about them for your man cave area, for your outdoor entertaining space? You love to have friends, family, neighbors over on game day in the falls, right? Rooting on LSU, rooting on the Cajuns, the Saints, or the Cowboys. Guess what? LMG can turn your outdoor living area into the envy of your neighborhood. That's right. Visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and what great products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Go visit lmgelite.com today or stop by their showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford, Lafayette, Marble, and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Every week, we unveil something on Tuesday around lunchtime. It's become a new tradition here for the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. It's called Get to Know the Game, where we take time out and I send a question out to the staff, producers and show host. So we're talking myself, Hannah Five Names, James Mesh, Matt Miguez, Jordy Holtberg, Kevin Foote, and Clint Domain. And we ask, and we've done things like, what's your favorite sports movie? Or what was your first celebrity crush? Well, this week, we decided to do something, and the reaction was legendary. The first one up to answer the question, as he is every week, is Kevin. (laughs) And it was a lengthy response, because the 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 get-to-know-the-game question this week, and you can go read the story, 
on our website at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. We'll also share the link to it once again on social media once we wrap up this segment. What sports moment made you cry? Now, it could be tears of joy or tears of sorrow. Now, some of us, a certain producer extraordinaire says she never experienced this before. Tears of sadness because her team lost because she's a little Johnny-come-lately when it comes to the sports fandom. Don't worry. Your Mariners will break your heart. But footsie. Like, for me, foot did multiple things over multiple over multiple years. All over the place. Saints and Astros. Then they gave us like a top five. <laughs> it's all over the place. I, in, in fact, I gave you one moment. 1991 World Series. 12-year-old Raymond thinks that life is never going to get as good as, as it is right now. I'm going to take you back in time. My Braves that I cheer on with my grandfather for many years, and we went through many losing seasons, and we got to see my favorite player, Dale Murphy, traded away, and, and they did a rebuild, and they brought in Bobby Cox as the manager, and they got Tom Glavin to come up through the system, and John Smoltz and Steve Avery, and we got Ron Gann and David Justice, and <clears throat> we have a magical season. Terry Pendleton, who we got from the Reds, man in third base for us, and we win the pennant, and we go to the World Series. And 12-year-old Raymond is just doesn't know what to do with himself. And then it's the most epic World Series of all time. I got Kent Herbeck pulling Ron Gann off the bag in one of the games, and I'm yelling at my television. I'm distraught when Kirby Puckett hits an extra-inning home run to win one of the games. But nothing was as bad as Game 7, which we lost in extra innings. Three extra-inning games in that World Series, by the way. Epic World Series. Even though my team lost, it's maybe the best World Series I've ever seen. And to watch my team lose. And you felt it because they took out Smoltzy. They took him out of the game. And they put in Pena. And I'm like, oh, no. And Minnesota wins in the dump that was the Metrodome. I still remember that like it was yesterday. And no World Series loss after that. Not the next year when we lost to the Harden Toronto Blue Jays or when we blew a two-game nothing lead against the New York Yankees in 96. None of that matters. Like, that's the only sports moment that ever for that I ever cried about. I never cried tears of joy. That's not just not how I'm built. But that series loss and that game seven loss, 12-year-old Raymond crying like a baby distraught for days days because I thought it would never happen again because I never seen my team play that well I never seen my team never imagined my team playing in the World Series it was only a dream so to see them go on that magical run that they did in 91 it felt like it was a one-year deal it felt like it was like special and then for it to end in a loss and I was like oh man it's over so when we got back next year I was like oh great and then we lost again I was like then we lost to the Phillies in the NLCS the next year.
We won it in 95. I was very happy. But 91 World Series, that was mine. If you want to know more about us, go check out the Get to Know the Game blog post on our website, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And you can check out all 7,200 instances of Kevin Foote being upset. It, he listed it. Yes. Four. <laughs> was, four of them. I was like, dude, four? <laughs> we just four. And then Clint, of all people, uh, Domain is the wild card, by the way. The world famous he CD. Is. He brings up a Jeff Gordon NASCAR race that he lost. That made him cry. He, he, he writes, he doesn't understand why. I didn't even know he liked NASCAR, but yet young Clint Domain cried because Jeff Gordon lost a race. This yeah. is also the same man who said his first celebrity crush was a Mighty Morphin Power Ranger. So yeah. I, I don't know what to do with this I just laughed so hard that I started crying because <laughs> my uncle, who is a former LSU Tiger, does not watch the game during the day. The game is at 1 o'clock. He is not watching the game at 1 o'clock. He's watching the game that night after it's been recorded. No one has been on social media to see if they won or lost. You are not allowed in the backyard if you're not wearing purple or gold or LSU at all on your shirt. Pink at LSU, you know, the breast cancer awareness. Nope, can't wear that shirt in the backyard. I did not go to the backyard that day. Um, yeah, they were so upset at one point that I think they had an interception that my uncle's friend stood in the corner like he was in trouble because he was so upset that they did that. So I've laughed so hard, I started crying. Or when the Saints won the Super Bowl and we were literally on the back of a truck throwing beads out of the car because the Saints won and we are going around Academy and the other little shopping shopping stores to do a little parade thing. I mean, I still laugh at that because the whole thing was wrapped, but I've never actually cried because somebody lost or anything like that. Not like, no. <laughs> I've done that. Yeah, I did. And that was the last time I cried at a sporting event. Or a sporting moment made me cry. 91 World Series. After that, my heart turned cold <laughs> and hard. Cold. And I was built for more pain and misery. Okay. It's like, whatever. I don't really want to win the world. Yeah, of course not. I still have a giant button. Giant button. Of the Atlanta Braves 1991 National League Championship team. That team holds a special place in my heart, even though they didn't win the World Series. Got no more love for them. Got to take a timeout. When we return, Brad Belushin, the author of The Wax Pack, is going to join us to talk about his book. It is a fascinating read. You're going to want to tune in for that. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Baseball is unique in regards of once it settles into your soul, so to speak, once it gets its hooks in you when you're a child, you never stop loving it. It remains with you through adulthood into your older years. You may not follow the game as much as you did when you were 12 years old and obsessed with collecting baseball cards like I did, but you still love the game. You still have an appreciation for the game. And our guest coming up here on RP3 and Company, 
took that childhood passion that he had collecting cards and the love of baseball, and it led him down a path for a great American road trip, a story about fathers, some self-reflection, and it's our privilege to welcome to the program Brad Baluchin. He is the author of The Wax Pack, On the Open Road in Search of Baseball's Afterlife. It is a Los Angeles Times bestseller. It was the 2020 NPR Best Book of the Year. Brad, thank you so much for making time this morning. Brother, how are you? Thanks a lot, Raymond. I'm doing great out here in Oakland, California. There's been so much buzz about Oakland and about those athletic teams, about leaving, about the fact that their payroll this year is $32 million, and that's the same it was in 1991 when they won, went to the World Series, <laughs> and that's like 30 years yeah. ago. Um, <laughs> just as a baseball fan and a guy from the Bay Area, how do you feel about the Oakland Athletics right now? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, when I came up with the, the concept for the Wax Pack but back in 2014 or so, I talked about sitting in an empty Oakland Coliseum reflecting on things, and now here we are in 2022. I went to a game last night, and they announced the attendance at like 3,700, which is insane, right, for a Major League Baseball game. But uh, so it's very, you know, it's sad to see that on, on the one hand. On the other hand, you were talking about baseball getting its hooks in you from a young age, and you know, I actually kind of liked the fact that I, I felt like I had my own private baseball stadium last night. You know, yeah, I took I took the BART, uh, no lines, cheap tickets, no no one around me scored the game. Um, so I'm really going to enjoy these. You know, even if the A's end up moving, or I mean, we know they're, gonna, they're not, they're not going to be in the Coliseum that much longer, no matter what. So I'm really enjoying these these you know these years where uh, it can really kind of be it's, it's sort of romantic watching baseball in an almost empty stadium. Who was your favorite player growing up, and when did you first fall in love with the game? Yeah, young age, about five years old. I grew up in Rhode Island, and uh, by all means, should have been a Red Sox fan, but always uh, going with the underdog was a was a Phillies fan in the late '80s, and uh, they were not they were not good. Um, and my favorite my favorite player was a pitcher named Don Carmen, who was also you know not not one of the stars. Uh, but I think I always identified with those journeyman underdog guys because I, I was sort of an underdog myself growing up, uh, got picked on a lot, you know, got teased, I always felt like I didn't fit in. And so I think sort of subconsciously I was, I gravitated towards the guys that, you know, were not getting all the attention. It seems like every young boy loves baseball, loves playing the game, even if they're not good at it. I'm speaking from my own experience here. I was really good at getting hit in the head a few times playing Little League Baseball. Um, but we also fall in love with baseball cards. And, and I love how you kind of describe it in your book. It's As a kid, it's almost like a treasure hunt. Like, oh, you don't know what's inside that pack. Are you going to get your favorite player? Are you going to get that missing card that you need to complete the set of, like, say, 10 through 26 or whatever it might be? There was always a level of excitement before opening up a pack of baseball cards. And it's a very unique thing for for collectors and baseball fans. Yeah, and I don't know, you know, in today's highly uh, customized uh, society where you can kind of, you know, there's so much choice. You can get whatever you want, you know, customized to whatever you like. I don't know. There's, there's like parallel experiences like that for young people where that sort of that thrill of the unknown and, and that spirit is what I wanted to capture in the book by the, the you know, the, the conceit of the book is get a random pack of 1986 baseball cards that had never been opened and whatever random players happen to be in that pack, those are the guys that I'm going to set out to track down all over the country on a, on a massive road trip. So you know, it, it evoked the spirit of going down to the local pharmacy when I was a kid with my you know, clutching two quarters to buy a pack of cards. And, you know, baseball cards, as you're saying, that, that, was, our, that was our iPhone. That was our Google, right? That was how we knew 
these players and their statistics, how we identified with them. Um, you know, it's amazing how much information they could cram on the back of a baseball card. Um, but I spent many hours as a kid in my room on the floor with my cards, organizing them, studying them. Um, some of those 86, 87 tops cards are seared into my brain forever in terms of, you know, remembering the pose of the player or what they looked like. So uh, this was a real chance to, to, I think there's a whole generation, you know, a generation X out there that grew up with these things, these sort of cultural touchstones. And this book is really, I think, the sweet spot for, for that generation of people that are now in their, you know, 40s and 50s. Yeah, I remember 87 because of the wood frame on the Topps cards. And, of course, that was the Future Stars Bo Jackson card, which I actually have because I was a diehard baseball card collector. Yeah, I remember that card. Oh, yeah. it, was, it, was, it, was an, it was an epic card. It was one of those. And then 89, the King Griffey Jr. upper deck card that everyone wanted that no one really could find. It was a crazy time, and, and Brad, for myself, I actually owned a baseball card and comic shop with my parents as a teenager, and that was right before the market bottomed out, so that was not a wise business decision as a teenager, <laughs> but it was a ton of fun having to drive from central Illinois all the way over to St. Louis to buy cards for the shop right. and everything like that. You know, I, I love in your book where you mention it, you get the idea for it while you're there at an Oakland A's game, and you just start scribbling down, and you start coming up with this idea. Let me ask you this. Why did you pick the year that you did and the card maker that you did for the inspiration for your book? Well, Topps was always the, the flagship, uh, I think, back then. And so I, I bought the most. They were the easiest to find at the local store. I had the most Topps cards. 1986 was the first year that I remember collecting cards. So I was born in 1980, and so I was you know, five or six years old. Uh, during that year, and so I thought, well, there's no better way to, you know, that that sort of is a good, a good, uh, a good year to go with, and um, so that was, yeah, it was as simple as uh, as that. So you open up the pack. Did you did you have the level of excitement like you did as a kid? I mean, was it just nothing but nostalgia? Could you did you try to pace yourself by flipping through the cards, <laughs> the the 15 players that you got? Yeah, I'm always someone that like if you give me a big giant. Uh, piece of pie. I, I don't just scarf it down. I kind of try to uh, take my time and enjoy it. And so that's sort of how I went through the pack. You know, it's like, you know, don't don't uh, just try to get through it as fast as possible, although it's exciting. So yeah, what, the sort of the reveal, right, of each card. Okay, what's beneath the next card? That was sort of how I, I dragged it out. So you open up the pack and then you say, okay, I'm going to tell the story. Now, when you initially did that, I know you've talked about it took you a year just to do research before you even attempted the road trip of 11,000 plus miles. You did a year of research on everyone. Did you ever think during that research period, be like, man, this is, man, I sure am biting off a lot here. This is, this is going to be a monumental task. Did you ever think, ah, I'm just going to shelve this and put it aside. Why did you keep pushing forward and going through with it? Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned the research. I'm actually uh, just starting my work on a work on a, another book now about tracking down professional wrestlers from the same era. And so I'm going through that same process again right now. Um, and it's reminding me of when I did it with the baseball players. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's sort of one of the more nerve wracking uh, parts of the process because again, I, it's not like uh, I, I'm some famous, you know, celebrity writer or something. I, I, I'm just trying to, to approach these guys and, and get their, their cooperation. And so uh, you have to do a lot of a lot of research, figure out where they are, how to approach them, um, and yeah, there were times in that process. I mean, going into the road trip, uh, which was a two-month road trip in 2015, I 
I didn't know if I was going to get. I mean, there were some of the players where I, I didn't. I had I had an idea that I might get to them, but I had no guarantees. So um, yeah, it, you know, that's kind of one of the fun things about the book is I, I don't get to everybody, but I I certainly, <laughs> as you'll see in the book, you went through some pretty extreme lengths to try to get to everybody. We're talking with Los Angeles Times best-selling author Brad Baluchin. He joins us here in RP3 Company talking about his fascinating book, The Wax Pack, On the Open Road in Search of Baseball's Afterlife. All right, Brad, you mentioned some of the more interesting uh, approaches, uh, interesting stories to even get to said players to interview them. What are some of the ones that really kind of stand out to you that you thought to yourself, "Mm, what am I doing here? (laughs) Well, um... I guess two of the more two of the more famous players in the pack were Dwight Gooden and Carlton Fisk, and so although those were the two uh, biggest stars in the pack when I when I found them in the pack, I was actually not not that excited because I knew you know generally speaking the star players are much harder to get access to, and you know Gooden and Fisk, Gooden's issues have been well documented, and Fisk has been always been known to be really reclusive, uh, so. I wasn't surprised when Fisk told me to scram, basically. He had no interest in, in talking to me when I approached him through his people. And uh, so with Fisk, I, I, through some sources, found out where he likes to golf in uh, Sarasota, Florida. And that chapter is called Chasing Carlton, and it's about uh, some of the, uh, the hijinks I went through to, to, to uh, get my way into that golf club to try to find him. And so I'll... <laughs> Let the readers discover what happened there. But that was a fun, he kind of had some fun with that one. Uh, and then Dwight Gooden was the one guy that uh, wanted me to pay him to talk to him. And I said, you know, well, I really, that's uh, not something I can do. It's, you know, journalistic ethics, not paying your sources. And he insisted. And so I said, okay, well, um, I'll pay, but I'm going to make sure that the reader knows that I'm paying you. And so I had this whole meeting set up at his home in Long Island and I uh, get there and here I am walking into Doc Gooden's living room in New York, and pretty surreal seeing all the frames on the wall, and you know, just being inside his house. and And his his uh, oldest son, Doc Doc Little Doc Dwight Gooden Jr., represents him, and so he was there to greet me. and uh, Unfortunately, his dad was not, and so that chapter is sort of about you know, where's where's Doc? What what happened? And uh, so I ended up getting to, to spend some time with his son, which I thought was actually maybe even more interesting because I got to hear and then tell his oldest son's story. You know, what is it like to grow up with Dwight Gooden as your father in, in New York in the mid-'80s? The other thing that kind of pops up, and I don't think you planned this when you set out on your journey of 11,000-plus miles to write this book, to interview all these guys, fatherhood and the bond between fathers and sons in baseball really kind of started to develop and seems like that did organically. Did that catch you by surprise while you were conducting the interviews and, and writing the book? Yeah, totally. And that's where you don't know sometimes until you, you have the opportunity to, to do a project like this, you know, what you're going to find. And, uh, you know, publishers are always wanting to know in advance. So what's, what's the story? What's the hook? And I had no idea that the father-son relationship would be as pivotal as it was in, in the book until I got on the road and started meeting with these guys and realized this, this common thread of how many of these players really had strange uh, relationships with their dads. And that was really deep and, um, and, and very sad in many cases to see 
uh, how many of them, you know, uh, Rick Sutcliffe's father uh, was a race car driver who ran out on the family when Rick was about 11, and so Rick's grandparents really raised him. Uh, Steve Yeager, a catcher for the Dodgers for many years, talked about his dad being an alcoholic, uh, and so, you know, time and again, these these very successful baseball players were uh, opening up, being very vulnerable about uh, broken relationships with their dads. And so uh, that was something that, that I didn't expect, but ultimately became a big part of the book. Wrapping up our conversation with Los Angeles Times bestselling author and the man behind 2020's NPR Best Book of the Year, Brad Baluchin joins us. He's the author of The Wax Pack, On the Open Road in Search of Baseball's Afterlife. You know, you pick the pack at random, and you get a collection of players randomly by doing that. I love how random the stories end up being with your interviews with said players, Brad. I mean, you go bowling with one guy. You go to the zoo with another. It's just all over the place. How rewarding was that? that your experience ended up being just as random, if you will, as it was opening that pack of cards? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, that was not entirely, uh, I mean, I, I did plan some of that in that I knew when I met up with these guys that I, if I if every chapter was me sitting down at a coffee shop with the guy, I mean, that from a reader's perspective, it gets pretty old pretty fast, you know, and, and I, I really try to write in a way that, is setting a scene uh, very sort of cinematically with the environment that we're in. And so I just knew that, hey, hey, if I if I said, hey, let's meet at a zoo or let's go bowling or let's go play catch, right, that that is going to create a, a much more lively uh, narrative and a, and a set of experiences that never seem uh, like they're replicating each other. And so I'm glad you, you, you picked up on that or you enjoyed that because that was my intention was to make each – chapter unique it's unique it is a tremendous read and i'll tell you brother i know you're a professor i know you are a biologist you're a scientist by by nature but let me tell you man you have the heart of a poet because reading this book i couldn't put it down it was absolutely tremendous i would have never thought in a million years that you were a scientist so i mean that in in the highest form of flattery by the way Thank you, Raymond. And, you know, that's always the, I mean, the, the, the nicest compliment people will ever give me is, like, I read it really quickly. You know, because it means, like, all right, then that, that kept you engaged. You know, if you breeze through it, um, I'm happy. Brad, appreciate your time. Tell the people where they can go to get a copy of The Wax Pack, brother. Sure. Uh, so, as the cliche goes, wherever books are sold, um, always encourage people to, Support their local independent bookstore if if they uh, if they have one or online at, at uh, you know where where you can get books and uh, and also I'm on Twitter at Waxpack Book if you want to give me a follow and uh, keeping updated about new projects and uh, kind of what's coming next. Brad, appreciate your time. Enjoy the games out there in Oakland with all that the, the spaciousness that you're experiencing. Enjoy it and keep up the great work. And can't wait to read your next uh, your next work, my friend. Thanks. Uh, as somebody said on social media, the A's fans are, are social distancing uh, even now, even if they don't need to be. <laughs> Thank you, brother. All right. Take care. That's Brad Baluchin. He's the author of The Wax Pack, On the Open Road in Search of Baseball's Afterlife. Let me tell you, we have a lot of authors come on this show. I read a lot of books. Some of them I skim through, others I can't put down, and this one is one of those. If you love baseball, you collected baseball cards, 
trust me, you're going to want to get your copy of the Wax Pack. Speaking of baseball, the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to take you out to the ball game with our latest Astros weekend getaway. The Astros take on the Texas Rangers on May 21st, and you can be there for all the exciting action. Register in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Ballpark, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. That's right, four tickets, hotel room, and a tour of the ballpark. Rangers Astros at Minute Maid, May the 21st. Astro Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Le Meridian Houston Downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, but you can only score this Astros Weekend Getaway by becoming a member of our clubhouse. So go sign up today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. More RP3 and company coming up right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number three has arrived. Tremendous conversation there with Brad Belucci, an offer of the Wax Pack. Well, I'm telling you, you're a baseball guy. You're going to love that book. You need to check it out. Appreciate Brad making the time. And about a half hour from right now here on this Thursday edition of RP3 and Company as we're only a week away from the NFL draft. Woo, man. Only a week away. We're going to be talking about Cajun comic relief. It returns after a two-year hiatus this Saturday. Yours truly is serving as co-MC. We're going to have one of the headliners, Sam Jobert, is going to join a stand-up comedian and impersonator. He's going to join us in about a half hour from right now. But kicking off our number three here of RP3 and company, we could talk baseball. We did that earlier about the Astros losing. Otani was phenomenal for the Angels. Give credit to him. He was spectacular. Odorisi was garbage for the Astros. But they're around, they're a 500 team, and that's what they typically are the first two, three weeks, even first month of the season. That's what the Astros do. Sky's not falling, not yet. We talked about that. We talked about the NBA playoffs. We're going to talk more playoffs and more draft with our next guest. He's the award-winning columnist and reporter for ChristmasCitySports.com. It's our good friend, Mr. Les East. Les, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Raymond. How are you? I'm doing sensational. I got uh, my producer. She is on point sassy with the trash talk. You know, she decided to be a Seattle Mariners fan, and she's taking every opportunity to throw a little shade the Astro fan way today on the air. Uh, Do you support this decision by the bold new baseball fan? Sure. Anything to liven things up, especially (laughs) in April. Uh, (laughs) 
It's a long season. <laughs> People talking trash in April aren't always able to do it in August and September. Oh, 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 oh. words to live by. Words to live by. Oh, all right, Les. Let's start off with the Pelicans. They, man, game two. What a performance! They come back. Yes, Devin Booker went off for 31 points before he got injured and injured his hamstring, but they were going toe-to-toe with the Phoenix Suns there in Phoenix. Even when Booker left, they were still up by three. The Pelicans were. They close out the game strong. B.I. has the best game I've ever seen him have as a Pelican. What do you make of that Game 2 victory the other night? Well, I think it may have been – I don't think there's been a better win in the history of this franchise than the one they had on, on Tuesday night. When you take all things into account, playing the number one seed on the road, um, taking over home court advantage in this series, uh, probably Ingram's best game of his career. Uh, they just played – you know, even if Booker doesn't get hurt, I think they probably win that game. Um as you mentioned, they were ahead when he left the game. Uh, he had probably as good a first half as any player has ever had in a playoff game. But that wasn't going to happen in the second half. I don't think he was going to wind up with 62 points. He, he played uh, almost uh, two-thirds of the third quarter and didn't score before the injury. So I think he had been sort of reverting to the mean in the third quarter. And the Pelicans just had a team effort. They had so many guys contributed to that effort. And Chris Paul uh, did not have a good game. They they put Jackson Hayes on him in the third quarter, and that was a, a big move by Willie Green. And, and the game turned before Devin Booker got hurt. So I, I think they probably were going to win that game regardless of what happened with Booker. And under the circumstances, it was just a tremendous performance. And now... And I wrote about this at CrescentCitySports.com. Forget about seedings and records and expectations and talking heads on ESPN. You know, whichever team wins three more games is moving on to the next round, and there's no reason why that team can't be the Pelicans. Let's table the Booker injury. Right now, the matchup seems to be especially there in the fourth quarter in game one and all of game two, even with Booker on the floor, the Pelicans match up fairly well. What is it about the Suns and how their roster is constructed that is a favorable matchup for the Pelicans? Because we're talking about the number one seed. We're talking about the team that nearly won the NBA championship a year ago. Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint because there have been games this year and in which the the Suns have dominated the the Pelicans and the the Pelicans won the first game after the All Star break in Phoenix, but Chris Paul didn't play in that game because of the thumb injury. So it's been a sort of a uh, an erratic uh, season series between the two teams, but the Pelicans have shown an ability. Uh, to stay with the Suns and to beat them, beating them on the road twice now this season. And I I think maybe the biggest stat for the Pelicans, not only in this series, but in the two play-in games, is that they've out-rebounded their opponent in all four of these games that they've played. And that the total is like 205 to 147. 
and uh, Jonas Valanciunas had uh, 25 rebounds in Game One. Uh, Pelicans out rebounded them again in Game Two, and though even though DeAndre Ayton had a great game in Game One and was a big factor, overall the 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 way the Pelicans, particularly Valanciunas and Larry Nance Jr., the way they have hit the boards and kept the Suns from getting second chance opportunities and the second chance opportunities that the Pelicans have gotten, even though they missed a lot of them in game one. uh, I think that's been a huge factor. So, uh, you know, game one, the Suns won because Chris Paul went off in the fourth quarter and they were winning game two at halftime because Booker went off in the uh, first half. But to this point, it looks like, the, the the only way the Suns have really had a lot of success is if one of their guards has just had a a performance for the ages, and I don't think you, that's a winning formula over the course of a seven game series. They have to find a way to compete with the Pelicans inside if they're going to um, take control of this series. Less. Now the series comes back home, and I've said this for the longest time, especially when it comes to seven-game series uh, with the NBA in particular. Uh, look, the road team, their job is to split, right? you, you got to split. That, that's all you got to do, especially early in the series. If you can get a split and come back home, you're feeling great about yourself. The Pels do that, and it is going to be a sold-out, rocking Smoothie King Center tomorrow night and probably Sunday. I'd expect the crowd to be a little bit better on Friday night, but – how do the Pelicans and how does Willie Green not allow the emotions of the moment of having a sold-out home playoff game for this team that hasn't experienced that? Is that his biggest challenge This the, the, these couple days and this weekend is not to let the moment at home and the emotions of playing in front of a home crowd be too much? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. He's got to keep them uh, in the moment and just focused on the task at hand and they've done a a real good job of that down the stretch because they've had some other significant victories along the way that come back they came from 23 down to beat the Lakers uh, in the uh, sold out arena and that was probably the biggest game of the regular season and yet they came back after that and they won three out of four on the road so they, they didn't get caught up in the success they had in that game they they stayed uh, on point uh, on the road trip which enabled them to clinch the play-in spot and clinch home court they beat the spurs in the first play-in game and uh, that was a huge victory and then they went out to la and beat the clippers 48 hours later so they've already done a pretty good job uh, of staying focused even in the wake of, of an emotional victory and, and a lot of excitement surrounding the team. I think uh, C.J. McCollum and uh, Brandon Ingram are going to be a big part of keeping the team focused, veteran players, especially McCollum, who's played in a lot of playoff games. You know, Brandon Ingram has now played in two playoff games, and, uh, and yet he looks like a guy who's uh, had a lot more postseason experience than that. So uh, the players are going to be responsible for that to a large degree. But, yeah, that's going to be Willie Green's message. We're going to talk to him here in a couple hours after practice. And I'm sure that's what he's going to emphasize is that they just have to stay focused uh, the way they have been 
and just treat this game like any other game. It's not going to be easy to do. I, I think they're going to be nervous. They're going to be jacked up at, at the outset because the arena is going to be the allow, loudest it's been in four years. And uh, they just have to work through that at the beginning of the game and, and play basketball the way they've been playing it because they've been playing it well enough to beat this team. We're talking with Les East, award-winning reporter, columnist for CrescentCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, let's switch over to the Saints. We're a week out from the draft. Lots of speculation, lots of rumors about the team. Let's start off with Jarvis Landry reportedly coming in for a visit. That would be the second high-profile former LSU star that comes in for an interview during the free agency period. Do you believe Jarvis Landry is a good fit for the Saints, and do you think they actually have a legit shot of signing the five-time Pro Bowler? Yeah, I think they have a chance. I I think um, the the situation with Jarvis is a lot like the one with Tyron Matthew. It's that uh, it it would be a good fit. I think the Saints would like to have him. I think the player would like to be here. Uh, But I I think probably what – the player is looking for in both cases is more money than the Saints probably were able to spend at this point, and so the outcome of those negotiations is going to be market-driven. And if somebody uh, out there uh, decides to outbid the Saints, I think there's, there's a point um, that where the Saints aren't going to be able to match uh, certain offers and if the player isn't willing to give a hometown discount, then it's probably not going to get done. I think that's definitely the case, case with Tyron, who's indicated that as much as he wants to be here, he's not looking at a hometown discount. I think the same is similar with um, Jarvis. So uh, I, I wouldn't expect either of those players to sign before the draft. I think uh, the Saints are going to wait and see what happens in the draft, see what the market bears for both players, and then um, revisit the situation if they haven't signed elsewhere. So it would be nice if they could get one or both of those players. I, I think either is a possibility, but uh, I, I think it, if anything happens, it will be after the draft and would not shock me if neither of those players came here, even though it would be uh, good for the team and good for the players if they could work something out. Obviously, we'll talk more about this next week when we bring you on the day of the draft list. But let me ask you, a week out now, what are you hearing? What do you feel the Saints are going to do with those two first-round picks as it stands right now a week away from the draft? Well, I, I think it's going to be uh, dictated in part by, by who's on the board, as it always is, especially with the Saints. They've, over the years, they've been pretty much able to focus on best player without having to reach for a position. I do think because of their needs and the strengths in this draft, I think it's very likely that at least one of those picks at 16 and 19 will be used on a wide receiver. I think the value will be there, and that's clearly their biggest uh, position of need. I wouldn't rule out them picking two receivers at 16 and 19. I don't think that's the most likely thing, uh, but it's something they could do uh, if the value is there because they need multiple uh, wide receivers, I think, to upgrade the roster. Now, that would certainly preclude 
them signing Jarvis Landry. I think at that point if they were to draft two guys, but it's more likely that they probably go for an offensive lineman, a tackle most likely, and a wide receiver. And I think the value on the board will determine which is at 16 and which is at 19. Uh, but they could still go for a defensive back, especially a safety. Um, they could go for a defensive lineman if the value was there. But I do think wide receiver and offensive tackle are the uh, the top priorities and the, the, the positions that they hope uh, have the best value when it comes time for them to pick. Les, appreciate your time as always, my friend. Can't wait to see you later today out at the golf course because not only does my man cover the New Orleans Pelicans and the New Orleans Saints, Zurich Classic is going to get the Les East coverage as well, brother. Great job, man. Keep up the work. Thanks, Raymond. Looking forward to it. Hey, just a reminder. Here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you or your contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, I don't know, landscaping around the perimeter of the house, rosebush, it really does not matter. Because you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe you'll only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out there and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. Simple, right? It's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service and to promote public safety. Louisiana 811 and the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles reminds you call 811 and know what's below before you dig. We got to take a timeout. We'll update the poll question of the day. That's coming up next right here on the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Cycle Zydeco is a festival on wheels. Experience mouth-watering Cajun cuisine and live performances by some of the best bands in Louisiana. The ride, which will take place this week and weekend, includes tours of many attractions and options for camping or staying in hotels. Immerse yourself in Acadiana, the birthplace of Zydeco, home to both Cajuns and Creoles alike, and one of the most unique cultures in the United States. If you're looking to volunteer or for more information, simply visit CycleZydeco.org. That's CycleZydeco.org. Let's check in on the poll question of the day, shall we? It should be a good one. Once again, we asked you, the peoples, Jarvis Landry's visiting the Saints. Do you want them to sign the former LSU Tiger, five-time Pro Bowler, team first guy? Not a diva, not a distraction, never been that guy ever. Should the Saints sign former LSU star Jarvis Landry? 78% of you say yes, 22% say no. Let's get to some comments. Brad on Twitter says, hell yeah. He's a professional and a team player and can be a leader in the locker room. Still draft a wide receiver in round one, then trend the fat off that wide receiving cores. Someone's not happy with Callaway and Traquan Smith. 
<laughs> a lot of Saints fans are not happy with either one of those guys. Doug on Twitter says Saints should sign three or four receivers because I don't trust Michael Thomas. Have you seen his tweets? I think he's going to be a team player. I think he's going to be a good soldier for this season. Now, whether or not him and Dennis Allen can be on the same page, page moving forward, eh, we'll find out. But I feel like you're going to see Thomas. I think he's got something to prove, especially after the last couple years not being able to play due to injury. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. You know what I told you earlier about the Strohs? I'll bring it up again. Sky's not falling. Yes, did Otani come in there and dominate them in their house? Only gave up two hits, striking out 12 Astros as they kept swinging at pitches they couldn't connect with? Yes. Did Urizi look awful? Like, shouldn't even be allowed to get on the team bus for the next road trip? Yes. But this is what the Astros do. They are slow starters. They are sluggish. I told you what their records were earlier through 10 games. What about 12 games? Because that's what they do. They're 6-6 and right now, right? 6-6 and on the season. Mm-hmm. as they welcome in the Toronto Blue Jays this coming weekend for a series that Hannah Five Names will be there for on Saturday, I do believe. Yes. Very exciting for her, her first Major League Baseball game. Still like driving, though? No. Shout out to the fiancé for making that happen. Look at him. Astros record through 12 games. In 2017, they were 8-4. and four. They won the World Series. In 2018, they were 9-3, and three, went to the LCS. In 2019, they were 7-5, and five, went to the World Series. In 2020, they were 6-6 six and six and made it all the way to the American League Championship Series, the LCS. Last year, they were 6-6 six and six through the first 12 games, and they went to the World Series. There you go. Loaded roster. They always start off slow. They always do this. The sky is not falling. If we're talking about the Strohs being a 500 team when we're nearing June, if it's Memorial Day weekend and we're heading towards June and they're still a 500 ball club, then there can be some concern. Yeah. But right now, it's way too early. Also, one more baseball thing. Miggy, Miguel Cabrera, former Florida Marlin, but longtime Detroit Tiger, MVP, Triple Crown winner, going to be a Hall of Famer. One of the best pure hitters I've ever seen right there in generational talent. Last night, he went three for four against the Yankees, and he's one hit away now from 3,000 hits. That's a huge milestone in baseball terms. He has 2,999 career hits now. Went three for four against the Yankees last night. His quote, when asked about getting close, and they play an afternoon game, so Miggy could get career hit number 3,000 today. He was asked by a reporter about being one hit away from 3,000 after going three for four versus the Yankees. His quote was, who the blank cares? We lost. When has this game ever been about individual accomplishments? End quote. There you go. He never played for my team. I always loved how Miggy played. Is he the same player as he was five years ago, ten years ago? Absolutely not. He's at the tail end. It's the twilight of his career. This could be his last season in the big leagues. But one of the greatest hitters I've ever seen, one of the greatest players I've ever seen, goes three for four, gets closer to the 3,000 career hit milestone, and Miggy's like, who cares? 
we didn't win. And the Tigers are rebuilding. They've been bad for a couple years. And they could be all about letting Miggy take victory laps and, you know, everything like that. But he's setting the tone for this younger, these younger guys. The Tigers are trying to turn things around, build a foundation for future success. That's what you want to hear if you're the skipper. A.J. Hinch loves hearing that, by the way. Former Astros World Series championship skipper, who now is the skipper for the Tigers. Got to love that. Sorry. Love that. Love that old school approach. And hopefully Miggy gets career hit number 3,000 today. Great player. Absolutely great player. Generational talent. Hey, got to let you know. The NBA playoffs means next level basketball. Get in on the first round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets with from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, guess what? The more money you can win. Plus, each day of the first round, get risk-free bet up to $10 if your same-game parlay doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code 1037GAME. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of playoffs and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code 1037GAME at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Availability does vary by parish. Eligibility restrictions do apply. Minimum $5 deposit. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions. We got to take a timeout. When we return, Sam Bear, stand-up comedian, voice impersonator, and one of the performers for Cajun Comic Relief this Saturday will join us. That's coming up next right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. After a two-year layoff due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Cajun Comic Relief is coming back this Saturday. And we're going to talk to one of the gentlemen that's going to be on stage entertaining hundreds, if not thousands of folks here throughout Acadiana. He has performed on the Las Vegas Strip. He's been seen in television, been heard on radio. You've probably seen his act on cruise ships. He is known as a man of a thousand voices. And you know what? He's a successful comedian, vocal impersonator, and he's from right down the road. He's originally from Plaisance, Louisiana, right there in St. Landry Parish. It's our privilege to welcome to RP3 and Company, Sam Bear. Sam, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Raymond. Wow, what an introduction. I'm fine. What about you? I'm doing great, brother. Hey, I'm excited because we're getting closer and closer, my friend. For Cajun Comic Relief, I'm blessed to be one of the co-MCs of the event. Can't can't wait to see all the people there. Can't wait to see all the people just, you know, dying, laughing, and seeing you take the stage. Just let me ask you that, bud. How excited are you to be part of this event yet again, especially after it being kind of taken away due to the pandemic the last few years? Oh, I am really excited. Uh, we need laughter more and entertainment. I mean, family, good, clean entertainment more than anything anything right right now it's uh we're i'm excited so um and and as standing on the stage i think that's the best uh seat in the house if you will 
because I get to see the faces in the audience and just watch them laugh. That's like medicine. That's like yeah, it's like a booster shot. <laughs> I like that. It's like a booster shot. He says. Well, let me uh, let me ask you, Sam. How does uh, how does a young man from Plaisance, Louisiana, end up becoming a vocal impersonator, stand-up comedian, and a man who performs in Las Vegas and on cruise ships? How does that happen, brother? Well, a um, long time ago, I lived. I'm from Plaisance. Actually, more of the Plaisance is kind of it's a community, but I live in the rural part of Plaisance, which means I grew up in the woods. And my folks, they bought a television, and I heard these strange voices coming out of it, like the three stooges, and and I, they sounded different than we did, and I just started mimicking uh, some of the voices. I thought everybody could uh, do vocal impressions, and every time I would do a voice, people would turn around and look. I said, this, and even yodeling, I haven't done it on the stage yet, but I, I thought everybody could yodel or everybody could make do the voices, and anyway... Uh, a producer heard me one time. He caught me in a good mood, and he said, "Hey, how would you like to perform here?" And I've gone to different places, and it just gets—it's getting better and better. So uh, what I do is I, I realize it's different. So I have fun. What was the first impression you remember, kind of mastering? I think, and it's—I uh, remember saying. <laughs> I would get you, my pretty. I think it was the witch on uh, on the Wizard of Oz. Then I went to uh, a case. It was Casey Kasem. He says, "Until next time, I'm Casey Kasem, saying keep your feet in the ground and keep reaching for the stars." And I started doing Casey Kasem. I thought everybody could do Casey Kasem, and I. And, of course, Howard Cosell. I started doing Howard, and uh, I thought everyone could do Howard Cosell, but little did I know. So, anyway, it just goes on and on. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. I love it. Uh, let me ask you this. You know, uh, spending your career on stage and, you know, behind a microphone or in front of a television camera, obviously, there's going to be times where you're going to maybe have an awkward or an embarrassing moment. Is there anyone that kind of – uh, springs to mind, so to speak, in your career that really stands out where you're like, oh, man. <laughs> I, I remember just returning from Las Vegas and feeling pretty good about what, I, what I'd done. And one of my friends uh, in Baton Rouge asked me to just do some of my voices. So, But he forgot to bring me on. The youngest person, I think, were, was about 80 years old. And they were drinking, and they brought me on stage and i started doing my voices and they said get off the stage you bum <laughs> it they it seemed like when you're when everyone's drinking and the party has started it's not a good time to come on the stage and i think they started throw, they started throwing things at at me and i said i can't believe these uh, uh Seasoned veterans are throwing things at me on the stage. I've been heckled a few times. Uh, most of the time, half of the audience can hear what I'm saying, and the others can't, and, and it just doesn't work out well. So uh, hopefully we'll have the sound system just right uh, Saturday. <laughs> Saturday, And uh, there are two shows, 1 o'clock Saturday and 6 o'clock. So that's going to be fun. Uh, again, it's a good family atmosphere lots of fun um it, it, i can't wait 
We're talking with stand-up comedian and vocal impersonator Sam Jobert joins us here on RP3 and Company. He's going to be one of those headlining performers at Cajun Comic Relief this Saturday at Angel Hall. Sam, let me ask you, you know, you have voices that you have perfected, right, and the ones that you enjoy. But I would assume during your career over the years, mm -hmm. you may do an, an impersonation of someone and the audience reacts more positively to it than you anticipate and maybe it becomes one of your favorites. What What's one of the or maybe two or three favorite impersonations that the audience loves when you do it? You know, I never know how the audience is going, going to react Um I remember doing, um, for instance, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson started talking, and, and people, some people just said, this is my, the favorite, my favorite voice, Mike Tyson. Or I could may, uh, maybe do Barack Obama. And somebody said that. Or, um, but I think, and I don't think you may not remember, you may be too young, but there's, Mr. Haney from Green Acres, he was a guy on a show a long time ago. <laughs> it it all de it all depends. Uh, it all depends. Yeah, and but we'll wait. I'll wait and see. It it all depends. I love that. I love that. Um, have you ever had an encounter with a celebrity that you've done an, an impersonation of? Um. Uh, let me see if can you ask me this question maybe after the show Saturday because I got something up my sleeve. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh, I, oh, I have. Oh man, I don't know if. I'll, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm a little nervous, but I can't wait. All right, let me ask you this then, Sam. Um, right. You know, are there any celebrities or voices that you may be bringing to the stage that we've not seen or heard before? Yeah, it all depends. I'm debating, and I don't know if I'll do it. I'm debating on having uh, President Trump and Obama, and maybe maybe even throw maybe Snoop Dogg or somebody in the mix. I'm not sure yet. It all depends. Uh, I don't know. People get people are real sensitive. And one thing about um, what I do, I I never uh, belittle. Uh, anyone. So when I, you won't know if I'm Democrat or Republican. I'm just a people guy, you know. So I, uh, I, yeah, it could. I think I will introduce some new voices. We'll see. I like that. I like that. Um, what are some of your favorite impressions? I know you've already done some Mike Tyson and obviously Casey Kasem and and others. But who who are some of your favorites that you just even after all these years of doing? impersonations it just you just never tire of it <laughs> well they're all different uh one my wife's favorite is elvis and i'm doing my when i do my you'll get a chance to see that on saturday uh to sing like elvis and watch the people look at me and i don't particularly look like elvis but i do love doing elvis and uh randy travis also, the Clump family from Eddie Murphy's movie, The Clump. I, I'll do all of the uh, characters in that in that movie, and that's just pretty. It's nice to do. Or my, uh, we're gonna have some young people in the audience, and I know they like uh, voices like Shaggy do, and maybe uh, maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger. They uh, he was the governor of the great state of California, so. 
I'll probably do some voices I don't know uh, of yet. So I think I'll, even I may be surprised. I, I got to ask you, I'm not, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Sam, but can you do a Coach O impersonation? Do you got that down, Pat, the former LSU Tigers coach? Oh, I, I had him down, Pat, but I didn't – I was wondering if anybody let me – oh, this is live, so let me see. I like that. Let me ask you, Sam, you know, yeah. as a comedian, as a as a impersonator, as an entertainer, a lot of times you mm-hmm. always have to be kind of on, laser focused, right? Always on, always ready to go, always to think on your feet. Is it hard right. for sometimes for you to kind of kind of turn that switch off and just be family man, just be a husband? Oh, not at all. I'm uh, – I'm uh... – it's not hard at all. My my wife ignores me, so I just. Well, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just easy. Just last night, I was just brushing up on some of my voices. She said, "Did you say something?" I was like, "No, I'm doing my my voices." And and I do this throughout the year, but it's uh, I don't walk around all the time doing voices. But yeah, I'm just a regular regular guy and. Just got to watch my sense of humor. Sometimes I, I think I offend people, but then I find out that, now nah, they're not offended. They just uh, they just appreciate comedy. You'll see that with all of the guys uh, that will be there on on the stage. Of course, I don't know if you mentioned the lineup or do you want me to uh, mention who's going well, to Well, yeah, we can wrap it up. Why don't you tell us the, the, the lineup and, uh, and everyone that's going to be taking the stage for the two shows Saturday at Angel Hall for Cajun Comic Relief, brother. Oh yeah, and and some of the some of the people that are going to be there, uh, I'm not that familiar with, but I'm I'm familiar with Barry Primo. He's going to come on right after me. But uh, before that, we have the Sweet Adeline Singers. They were in the uh, studio today. We were promoting the sh- uh, the show. Linda Lou, who uh, sings classic country. I'm looking so much forward to hearing from her. And of course, that's my good friend Stephen Shaw. He's been called a nerdy professor. He's uh, when you see him, you'll know what I'm talking about. I hear that this is his last show. I'm going to try to talk him out of not retiring. And then there's Marvin Lee. He's uh, he's been an actor on a series, a television series, for over eight years. You'll recognize him when you see him. He, I've seen him once. The gentleman is seriously talented. So it's going to be a lot of fun. But we could not have a Cajun comic relief without the man himself, the raging Cajun, uh, Jim Morgan. He's, in my opinion, he's the best. And also he will be inducted to the Cajun Comic Relief Hall of Fame, so it's going to be a lot of celebration. Looking very much forward to it. Well, Sam, I appreciate you making out the time. Once again, can't wait to meet you in person on Saturday there for Cajun Comic Relief. Have a great show, brother. Thank you so much once again, and I'll see you on Saturday, bud. Thank you so much, Raymond. I appreciate it. See you then. That's Sam Joe Bear, stand-up comedian, vocal impersonator. You got a little taste of what he's going to bring to the table. Once again, he's part of Cajun Comic Relief. And just a reminder, it's time to laugh until it hurts, but the pain is going to be for a great cause. Cajun Comic Relief returns this Saturday at Angel Hall. The comedy event, with its proceeds benefiting the Cajun Navy Ground Forces, will feature comedians and entertainers like Sam, like Steve Shaw, and the raging Cajun John Morgan. 
KEDN news anchor Jeff Horchak and yours truly, the big, bald, and beautiful one. We'll be serving as co-MCs for the event. Tickets cost only $30. That's right, 30 bucks. that's it. And they can be purchased at eventbrite.com. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's edition of RP3 and Company after this, right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports. We'll take a moment to thank our guests for making today's RP3 and Company sensational. What an experience it was. How about Brad Beluchin, author of The Wax Pack? Great book. If you're a baseball guy, you're going to love this. If you have a baseball fan in your life, you should order it. Give them to them as a gift. Trust me, it is a quick read, which is always a compliment. Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. Talked Saints, talked Pels. And Sam Jobert, stand-up comedian, voice impersonator, who will be part of the Cajun Comic Relief on Saturday. Thank you for all of our guests. Shout out to all the people that also voted on the poll question of the day. It was an easy one for you. Should the Saints sign former LSU star Jarvis Landry? 79% of you say yes. 21% say no. I do not believe the Saints will sign a free agent in between now and the draft. The draft is a week away. Yeah, be I could see, though, them making moves next weekend. And don't think that they can't afford Matthew and Landry because I don't know if either one of those guys is looking for huge paydays. I, I just, I, I could see both of them taking like a one-year deal because I think they want to be here. Do I do, do I still lean like 60, 65% that they won't sign with the Saints? Yes, because someone will always be willing to overpay. But don't be surprised because both of those guys are kind of team-first guys and they love Louisiana. And they would love to come back. One-year, two-year deals for each of them. I would take either yeah. of them or both of them. For the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.